Hello, everybody. My name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. And welcome to another episode of What Makes It Great. Today, we are talking about the Philadelphia story from 1940, directed by George Cukor. It was ranked number 51 on the original American Film Institute's Top 100 Movies of All Time list, and for their 10th anniversary update, ranked number 44, moving up to seven spots. Oh, wow. That's Excuse a... me, i got to clear my throat. <clears throat> yeah, right. Pardon me. Okay, right in the middle of the list, pretty much. That's, that's mm-hmm. pretty good. Yeah, um, this is my first time seeing it. Me too. And I watched it on HBO Max earlier this week. Yep, same here, about two days ago. Might be quickly becoming my favorite streaming service. Oh yeah, probably. With the quality and the diversity of everything that they have on there, it's pretty solid. <clears throat> so HBO, if you want to sponsor our podcast. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, brother, shut up, they're not paying us, don't say anything. <laughs> um... But yeah, watched it there a couple of days ago. Uh, we've seen jo- George Cukor in Gone with the Wind for a little bit. What else? Have we seen him on the list before yet? The Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind. Yeah, a little bit for both of those. Oh, that's right. He helped Victor Fleming on both of those. <laughs> hmm Yeah. Okay. Actually, that's the, per- that's the one person that I have to talk about for this movie. Okay. Because this movie also stars Catherine Hepburn, which uh-huh. we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Cary Grant, which we've talked about. And Jimmy Stewart, which we've talked about. Yep, which, so for reference, that's uh, Catherine Hepburn, the number one actress of the classic Hollywood era, era according to the American Film Institute. And mm-hmm. then uh, Cary Grant, the number two actor of all time. And then uh, James Stewart, number three actor of all time. So we got number one, two, and three. This is a Who's star. Who's number one on the actor list? It's Humphrey Bogart. Ah, uh, got it, got it. Uh-huh. But we've seen well, one, two, and three sense. in this movie here, and it's uh, yeah, very star-studded and no kidding, pretty, pretty fun. <laughs> I liked that. You no, know, I so we had watched Bringing Up Baby with Katherine Hepburn and Cary Grant. Yep. And I had some mixed thoughts on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, well, maybe I'll enjoy Katherine Hepburn more once I see her in something else. Mm-hmm. And I have now seen her something else, and I do think I enjoy her more. Same. This yay. is a better movie. So Spoiler, but yay! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Happy um, for you, brother. <laughs> yeah. So I think we'll have a good time talking about this one. Um, George Cukor mm-hmm. uh, was the director of this movie. He was born in Manhattan in 1899 to Jewish parents, but he did not grow up very religious. He worked in Broadway and theater, and when Hollywood begins making sound films, they get some talent from the theater, which is when he gets his start in film. And one early job that he had was working as a dialogue director for the movie that is connected to every other movie on this list, All Quiet on the Western Front. No (laughs) way. Yeah. (laughs) And then, um, then he directs Catherine Hepburn many times, including her breakthrough roles in a movie called A Bill of Divorcement in 1932 and the 1933 version of Little Women. Mm. And he works on Wizard of Oz for about a week, um, not filming anything, but he does make many changes in costumes and looks for the characters of Dorothy, the Scarecrow, and the Wicked Witch that do make it into the final version. Mm. And he was the original director of Gone with the Wind before getting replaced by Victor Fleming. He worked on that movie for like a year or two in pre-production. Oh, wow. Um, before getting replaced. And there's a lot of rumors around why he got replaced and everything. Um, Isn't it Clark Cable? 
Clark Gable is one of the reasons why. And there was one re- so George Cukor, um, he it was a very open secret that he was gay and mm-hmm. and he was you know openly gay in Hollywood and hosted a lot of parties for the closeted Hollywood community and and um, there's a rumor that Clark Gable was a what the, I think it said on Wikipedia was a hustler and that George Cukor was one of his Johns at one point. And so, how's that mean? That Clark Gable was a prostitute, and that oh, whoa. George Cukor was one of his customers. Oh God! At one point, um, and that Clark Gable's you know masculinity was very threatened by this, and oh, demanded wow. he be kicked off the movie. But that doesn't make too much sense because <laughs> Clark Gable had done a movie with George Cukor before Gone with the Wind, mm-hmm. and there was no stink there. Um, so that doesn't make any sense to me. Um, <laughs> mainly, it's just that I think what it was is that George Cukor was just stressed out working on Gone with the Wind and wasn't doing as well as he'd hoped. And David O. Selznick, the producer, thought, thought the same thing. And so they hired Victor Fleming, and we got that version of Gone with the Wind. However, Victor Fleming was super stressed out and burning out as well. <laughs> right. And uh, George Cukor would still go on and work with Vivian Lee and Olivia de Havilland on their performances secretly offset. Oh, wow. And so he helped them throughout the, throughout the filming of the movie. Um, he had a, a reputation as being a woman's director, but he ends up now, the, he ends up directing three Best Actor winning performances including James Stewart in this movie, The Philadelphia Story. Mm-hmm. Um, and Wikipedia says, I think it was, the wording was odd, so I, don't, I couldn't tell if this was like at the time is the most, or overall, no, no director has ever directed more Best Actor winning performances than George Cukor has. Three. Really? Um, I, one of them was, the, another one is another movie on the list, uh, My Fair Lady from 1964. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember the other one. Um, also, he directed a movie called Gaslight, which is where the term gaslighting comes from. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, Haven't heard um, that term at all recently in the news. <laughs> right. It's, it's all over the place. Yeah. Um, and um, like I said, he has one more movie on the list, My Fair Lady with Rex Harrison and Audrey Hepburn from 1964. And then in, he dies in 1983 of a heart attack at the age of 83. Man. That's a little bit about George Cukor. Dang. Pretty accomplished mm-hmm. guy. Yeah, for sure. Um, and then as far as key concepts go, I don't really have much. Um, I do have some kind of pre-production stuff. And just as we talked about this in the Bringing Up Baby episode when we were talking about Katherine Hepburn, that at this time she was kind of dubbed box office poison for mm-hmm. about two or so years prior to this movie coming out. And and during that break, she goes and stars in this the play version of the Philadelphia story. Mm-hmm. And her boyfriend at the time, Howard Hughes, purchases the film rights for her. And, and Catherine Hepburn largely produces this movie to be her comeback role. Mm-hmm. She chooses the stars, the directors. Like she does, She's very involved in the production of this movie. And and knew knew it very very well and the movie's super successful and it does kind of mark her comeback um also notable is that this movie's produced by joseph mankiewicz the brother of herman mankiewicz who writes citizen kane and joseph yeah and joseph mankiewicz also appears on the list later as the writer and director of a movie called all about eve that we will 
discuss. Cool. But the Mankiewicz family, very, very involved in Hollywood and, and in this movie as well. But that's really all I have prior to diving into this movie. Um, yeah, I really don't have too much. I had no idea what this movie was or what it was about. Um, yeah, me neither. But I did read a little bit about that, that she was like, you know, picking the cast and stuff and that she had wanted other people to star uh, in it mm-hmm. with her, which I thought is hilarious because just like who better than Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart, like <laughs> right, <laughs> amazing right. actors to, you know, act alongside you. Um, but yeah, I liked it. I'm glad that you have already told me that you, uh, have softened on <laughs> Catherine Hepburn. Um, yeah. I feel like this role is kind of like a watered down, more palatable version of her crazy, crazy, uh, bringing up baby character. So without right. further like, ado, let's Yeah. Go. I, feel, I was going to say, like, I feel like seeing her in this role maybe make might retroactively make me make me enjoy her role in bringing a baby more there um, you go good because <laughs> it's like i get to see her at a volume level of about five but mm-hmm. you know, in this movie and then but i started off with her on the volume knob was like at nine or ten so mm-hmm. this is <laughs> this is a little bit easier to digest i think yes definitely all right let's get into the movie brother okay let's start the movie um we open on a very fancy house and Cary Grant's character is named C.K. Dexter Haven. What a great and name. It's, and it's often, he's often referred to as his full name, yeah. C.K. Dexter Haven. So I feel like I, I wrote it down fully in all my notes, just calling him C.K. Dexter Haven throughout oh, yeah. my notes. You gotta have uh, it. Yeah, and uh, he's slamming a door and leaving with his things. And then Catherine Hepburn's character, whose name is Tracy Lord. Mm-hmm. Uh, comes out and like snaps his golf club over her knee and CK this is all there's no dialogue in this thing no just really good music I think this movie has wonderful music Um, Mm -hmm. and it starts off really like I don't know bright kind of quick it's like a little almost like a montage this little first scene yeah yeah it reminds me of definitely and and after she breaks his golf club she goes back she goes to storm back into the house, and C.K. Dexterhaven storms after her, and he p- raises a fist to punch her. Yeah, um, whoa. <laughs> yeah, and then he stops himself, and then instead, he puts his hand on her face and pushes her out of frame and onto the ground. And she falls just, like, amazingly, just completely, you know, there's clearly, like, a bed or some pad or something underneath, but she falls, like, right. <laughs> like a tree. <laughs> Yeah, and apparently they had a lot of fun shooting this scene, and she like wanted to get pushed down over and over again because she <laughs> thought it was a lot of fun. But it looks real rough, but it's yeah, played it for laughs. Yeah. And then it says, two years later, we get a title card, and, and we learn that in a newspaper clipping that Tracy Lord is getting married to someone named George Kitteridge, mm-hmm. or Kitridge. Kitridge, something yeah. Like, yeah, Kitridge, and, uh, and that... C.K. Dexter Haven was her ex-husband, so like with that context, we get okay, that's their marriage breaking up was mm-hmm. what we saw two years prior, and so then we get to meet some members of Tracy's family. We meet her sister Dinah, mm-hmm. and she Do I swear is they call a Diana brat. a couple of times. <clears throat> uh, yeah, her name is Diana, but they call her Dinah. Okay, okay. I just didn't know if it was uh, an accent thing because they all speak so weird, or if it was a different. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. It's th- there's a there's a line where she's like, "Well, my name is the is Diana or whatever, but Tracy calls me Dinah or something." Mm-hmm. So, um, and her and Tracy's mother, 
Mm-hmm. Um, the sister is a real brat. Um, and she's pretty funny though, but no, she doesn't want great. her to get married and yeah. prefers CK Dexter Haven. And I put like, even gets a kick out of him, like quote, socking her. <laughs> like he wants to hear all these stories of Tracy, of her sister getting beat by her ex-husband. Yeah. <laughs> a little dark from your little sister. Yeah. A little dark. Not very um, supportive. <laughs> yeah. And in this scene, we also learn that, like, Tracy's dad's having an affair with a dancer. Mm-hmm. And Tracy's arguing that her mom should leave him like she left her first husband. So we kind of get a sense of a little bit of the, the, the family dynamics that are happening in the family. That mm-hmm. they're a very wealthy, well-to-do family in Philadelphia. And maybe it was a, brought a little shame to their family that Tracy got a divorce. Um, and her mother does not want to get a divorce, even though she knows her husband cheats on her. There's like some element of like that would cause shame or bring, you know, on me or on our family. So I'm not going to do it. But Tracy's like arguing, you need to do it because your life will be better. And he's a scoundrel kind of a thing. Yeah. Oh, the forties. Mm-hmm. Look at Catherine Hepburn shining, shining bright in the forties. Mm-hmm. And then. The sister and the mother are also having a conversation about Tracy and how, and the mother shares that Tracy's got very high expectations for herself and that people rarely live up to them. And so also setting the stage for the character of Tracy Mm -hmm. and, and what will have to, what will happen for her character. That's kind of going to be her character's journey is, is reevaluating these expectations that she has for herself and for the people around her. Mm -hmm. Um, we meet the weirdest character in the movie, probably Uncle Willie. Oh, yeah, the pincher. He's gross. <laughs> yeah, the pincher. is what. He, yeah, he's a pincher. Yeah. Like, he even pinches his own niece. Mm-hmm. And by pinching, we mean, to, to be clear, like, squeezing their ass. Yep. Um, it it's weird. Lot. He does it to multiple characters in the movie, including his own family member. Um, he's kind of pervy. And, like, Tracy puts, like, some perfume on a handkerchief or something and waves it in his face, and then he pinches her because Mm -hmm. of that or something. Oh, yeah, that's that's the first pinch, yeah. Yeah. Um, We then meet uh, her husband-to-be, George Kittredge, Mm -hmm. and we learn that he used to be lower class and and works for her father's company. He's kind of worked his way up, and we learn a little bit more that the the Lords are one of the oldest families in Philadelphia and kind of highlights the class divide during this conversation and this moment where like he can't get on his horse and Tracy and Dinah and uncle Willie have no problems riding their horse. And, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and he's really struggling. He keeps like, Whoa, Bessie, Whoa, Bessie, what's the matter with you? And Dinah says something like, maybe it's cause his name is not, I forget what the name is like, but it's not Bessie, you know? Um, Maybe it's because his name is Jack or something, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, there's there's some interesting things with class that are kind of said throughout this movie about yeah, a lot expectations of how you should be viewed if you're upper class or lower class and what that means and lower class people having certain prejudices against upper class people and vice versa and you know it's trying funny. to work your way up this movie's not a uh it's not a screwball it's like just a, a rom-com i guess yeah um and that definitely they definitely have differences um definitely the female character Catherine hepburn is still very uh commandeering or 
what's a good word just controlling leading she takes a big presence in the screen Mm -hmm. um every Mm -hmm. time she's there she's always dominating conversations and stuff Mm -hmm. but it's not so much you know all the other characters have play too um and oh man i just uh, (laughs) what part of the movie are we at right here at the beginning sorry brother (laughs) no yeah so we're talking about the scene where they're getting on the horse, and so we just have met That's George right. Kidridge and everything. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Um, so Jimmy Stewart often says what you just said about mm-hmm. you know class and the class divides in the movie. You know, later on he's like, "Well, that's just because you're from a different class," you know, and mm-hmm. she'll be like, mm-hmm. uh, "No, this is my movie." Kind of. It's like she's almost her, her character, her strong, strong personality is just like. Not like fighting through trying to get to screwball, but like we said, it's just dialed back a little bit. But she still dominates the movie, and she like doesn't focus. Like her character's whole focus is to change her, um, her standards. I guess that what you said. Yeah, I mean, she's like having to reevaluate what she, how she views herself and how she views other people, and expectations. I feel like that she places on herself and other people. But class, and then every time class is brought up by Jimmy Stewart, she just like, no, that's not. I'm not. Th- I'm, that's not in my line of thought right now. <laughs> like, stop. No, this is me, my movie, my change kind of thing. <laughs> well, yeah, and that's yeah, that's exactly part of the re- she resents it because it it's like oh because I'm upper class you assume I'm a certain way and she's mm-hmm. trying to push back and change that a bit so mm-hmm. so she resents any kind of those conversations and, and will tease his character about it um, yep. without further ado why don't we meet those characters because in the very next seat we cut to Spy Magazine and we meet Macaulay Connor who goes mm-hmm. by Mike played by Jimmy Stewart. Mm-hmm. And Liz Embry, who's played by Ruth Hussey. And they're our writer and photographer team. And they march into their boss's office, Sydney Kid. Mm-hmm. And they get assigned to cover Tracy Lord's wedding, the Philadelphia story. Mm-hmm. And that's the title of the movie. I uh, know, he said it. <laughs> he does say it. And uh, Mike is not wanting to do it, thinking that the assignment is beneath him. He really views himself as a. As a more serious writer, he's apparently published a book of like short stories and poems, and you know, covering some socialite's wedding is is you know beneath him. But Liz is a lot more keen because she needs the money. She needs to have a roof over her head and feed herself and mm-hmm. things like that. Yeah, so. always very grounded, Liz. Mm-hmm. And they they like rarely call her Liz. It's Miss em- Embry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and then in walks C.K. Dexter Haven. And in the previous scene, when they were marching into the office, he was like following right behind them, and there was no mention of his presence or anything like that. And then just the first two characters, Mike and Liz, go into the office, but oh, yeah. CK doesn't follow them in. And then he comes in now. Yeah, and... I thought I was crazy until he came in the second time. I was like, right. okay, was that Cary Grant at the beginning? You like barely see, I don't know, it was really quick whenever he pushes her down. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you see all this stuff, but you see him in the. Yeah, in the newspaper, in the spy magazine place, and mm-hmm. I thought I was going crazy. <laughs> yeah. So so he comes in. He's been apparently in South America working for a magazine down there, and he's friends with Junius Lord, who is Tracy's brother? Or I don't some know. Some family, some relative of Catherine Hepburn's character. Yeah, what and a weird so, name that is. Junius? Junius, yeah. And so he's going to be their key to get into the wedding, and so... CK is going to say that Mike and Liz are friends of Junius, and that's how they're going to sneak into this wedding to report on it. Hmm. 
And I think the next scene is we go, Mike and Liz go to the Lord's home, and Mike walks around looking at stuff, and he's just talking bad about all the excess that's there, and grumbling and mumbling, and I don't know. They have, like, a big, long table with all these, like, spoons and, and stuff, and he, like, picks one up and then notices, like, one of the, like, staff members is, like, just watching him, and he has to, like, slowly put everything back so they don't think he's stealing stuff. His acting here is great. His, like... Jimmy Stewart in this movie is amazing. I do think he deserves the Oscar for it. Um, yeah, if there's not something, if it's not called officially, it needs to be called like the Jimmy Stewart mumble. I love how he just mumbles under his breath and just like kind of like says things to himself quietly. It's it's such a funny little <laughs> affect that he does in like every role that he plays. I don't notice it that often. I'm usually just too distracted by like what he's doing or I don't know. I don't I don't know. It's like, I'm thinking of like in It's a Wonderful Life that when he first meets Clarence, he's like, and what are you? He's like, I'm an angel. He's like, oh, you're an angel. Okay. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Like that kind of that. stuff where he's just kind of like, oh, yeah, sure. For okay. Sure. <laughs> I, I know what you're talking about now. There's a scene later on in the movie that we can talk about. He does that stuff. I know specifically. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I don't know what. It's just so charming to me. It's so entertaining. And he's, he's, he might be, you know, him and Clark Gable are probably the best actors that we've seen hands down so far. I agree. These, in these movies. I agree. Um, but yeah, he's talking bad about all the excess. He sees a phone with like numbers like this is to call the living room. This is to call the bedroom. This is to call whatever. And so he calls one of the, he basically prank calls the house from this room and, and Tracy Lord's mother answers or whatever. And he like starts going off on them. I don't remember what he says exactly, but... <laughs> He's just like he can't stand this these people, these rich upper class spoiled people. Mm-hmm. No r- space, no empathy for them at all. Mm-mm. And then what happens next? Oh, CK Dexter Haven arrives and immediately him and Tracy start arguing. <laughs> it's like every scene that they get into, they they just start going at it immediately. Mm-hmm. And... Well, I mean, she, he's her ex-husband and he's right, just right. showing up unannounced at her like wedding, the eve of her wedding. Yeah. That's essentially what's going on. Tracy mentions something about his drinking and how he drank a lot and and asks and then he says something that makes her like question like are you gone crazy kind of a thing and he's like have you switched from liquor to dope or something? Oh yeah. <laughs> and he's always calling her red. He's like, ah, oh, Red, I don't, you know, you've gone, you've not changed, Red, blah, blah, blah. And he tells her about the guests that are there on Junius's behalf, but mm-hmm. Tracy sniffs it out pretty quick that Mike and Liz are actually reporters from Spy Magazine. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, as C.K., Dexter Haven, and Tracy storm off, Dinah tries to follow them, thinking that he might sock her again. And Mother Lord says, don't say sock. Strike is quite an ugly enough word. <laughs> but there's like no emotion that her own daughter might be getting beat yeah. like in the next room. That it's such mom. a bizarre world. This movie has a lot of drinking. You know, they talk about dope, you know, where you switch mm-hmm. to dope. And then it's got so much drinking in it, though. More mm-hmm. than any other movie we've seen, for sure. Yeah. Every scene has some character holding something, at least, if they're not actively drinking something. It's like there's a drink in their hand or mm-hmm. there's a table with liquor on it that's waiting to be poured kind of a thing. Yeah. Or they'll wake up in the morning and drink. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And it later on, we'll talk about the funniest part of the movie is when the characters are drunk. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> that is the highlight of the movie for sure. Um, but uh, so C.K. Dexter Haven 
Oh yeah, what is he? Oh, see, he tells Tracy that Sidney Kidd, who's the guy that runs Spy Magazine, has a story that's going to expose Tracy's father's affair, and he won't publish it if Spy gets to write about Tracy's wedding. So she relents to maintain her family's reputation. So she gives in and says, "Yeah, okay, they can stay. I'm not going to no- tell out that I know who they really are. They can hang around and write their story as long as that story about my father doesn't get published." Yeah. So it's kind of blackmail. Um, oh, it is blackmail. That, yeah. <laughs> so they, uh, he go, CK goes to speak with Mike and Liz as they get prepared to meet Tracy and her family. And of course, Mike is ex- exhibiting more disdain for them. And by this time, the whole Lord family knows who they really are. So Dinah Lord comes like tiptoeing in in ballet shoes, speaking French. Oh, and... yeah, this is great. <laughs> My early childhood was spent in Paris where my father worked in a bank. The house of Morgan. Really? C'est vrai, absolument. Can you play the piano? I can, and sing at the same time. Listen. And then she goes over to the piano to play and sing the song Lydia the Tattooed Lady, (laughs) which is a song by Groucho Marx from the 1939 Marx Brothers movie At the Circus. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Lydia, oh Lydia, say have you met Lydia? Oh Lydia, the head lady. She has eyes that folks adore so and the torso even more. So Lydia, what is oh, Lydia, this? That encyclopedia. Lydia, Lydia the queen of tattoos. On her back is the battle of Waterloo. Beside it, the wreck of the Hesperus. And the whole thing is this is a humorous song. I think it's written by the same. The song is written by the same. Uh, songwriting team that did the music for the wizard of oz Mm. um and in the same year that the wizard of oz came out 1939 (laughs) um but you know just kind of describing all these bizarre tattoos she has all over herself (laughs) not not the most high class song so it's kind of funny whenever this ballet french-speaking ballet dancer starts singing this kind of vulgar song (laughs) and then Catherine hepburn comes around the corner doesn't she yeah, and starts speaking in French and says something about smallpox, like makes a joke about yeah, she's smallpox. She's like, let me see your tongue. Like, oh my gosh, you gotta get out of here. You might have smallpox. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know, had a ploy to try to scare them away or something. Oh, <laughs> Oh, how do you do? I'm Tracy Lord. It's so nice having you here. And then she starts talking to Mike and Liz, and then we learn that Liz has been divorced, which shocks Mike. Mike is like, how? I, wow, how dare you? I don't know. He says something like, that's, like basically, that's embarrassing, Liz. How, how can you be divorced? That's a, again, it's this idea that being divorced in this time is like a scandal kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, and, uh, they meet Mother Lord. I don't know her real name, so I just call her Mother Lord, because that's what C.K. Dexter Haven calls her, (laughs) and, uh, George Kidridge, and Liz snaps a picture of George and Tracy together, um, and, uh, before then, but Uncle Willie approaches, and Tracy calls him Papa, and so, because they're ashamed of her father, and so he might not be there. There's Mm -hmm. this idea, like, her father might not show up for the wedding, so they pretend that 
Uncle Willie is her dad. And then C.K. Dexter Haven arrives, and the whole really gang's like, have lunch together. That's really, like, the only reason why Uncle Willie's, like, in the movie, besides, like, drinking, pinching, and then, oh, yeah, you're the stand-in for the dad. Right, which doesn't make sense, because I think the dad shows up, like, in the very next moment. Yeah, just to, <laughs> just to confuse everybody. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, he, so they're going to have lunch together, and Tracy then, like, accidentally on purpose knocks over a small table with drinks and Liz's camera on it in an attempt to ruin the film, that, the picture that she just took. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, Tracy's real father, Seth Lord, appears, and they quickly call him Uncle Willie and send him away to avoid messing things up. And it's just, a, you know, one of those kind of, like, very screwball kind of moments, I feel like. Where yeah, it was like, very bringing this? up, Who's baby. This? She's just lying, yeah. lying, lying. Mm-hmm. But um, she's trying gotta... to get them back. Like, there's a scene, too, whenever she, like, before that, after the little, uh, she speaks French and sends them off for the small talk, and she has mm-hmm. a talk with them. You already you already said something about that, yeah? Mm-hmm, yeah. That whole scene there, though, I mean, you're flying through this movie. We are flying through this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Slow down, brother. Okay. Yeah, go, go, go. <laughs> That's the scene where, where, Li- where Mike learns that Liz has been divorced. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that scene... Is where Catherine Hepburn is like taking the power back, and it felt, yeah, you know, it felt very, very bringing up baby. Um, she's just mm. like, I know what y'all are doing. I know that you were lying right. to me. I'm going to prove to you that I'm gonna lie better. <laughs> yeah, she's and like, make sure like you have no excuse to tarnish my family in any way. Yeah, she's like, I'm gonna one up you. I'm, I've done this before, and I did it for an entire movie. Uh, check out mm-hmm. my skills. Here we go. And then right, she starts lying to about Uncle Willie and her dad, and then dad comes back, and she's just like, kind of. It, it, so I think Jimmy Stewart's a little mud, like mumbling and stuttering, and you know, talking mm-hmm. under his breath. I think that's in the same way like a way that Catherine Hepburn kind of just steamrolls through conversations and stuff and just like doesn't let people you know get a chance to breathe um Mm -hmm. that's kind of like her same little tool to maintain power in conversations during these movies and I think it's really really effective and really cool yeah Um, Uh, she's I she's her performance in this was much more um easily Easy, easier to connect with. The other one was so broad in bringing up baby, uh-huh. and like I said, now that I've seen this, I think I'll appreciate her performance in bringing up baby retroactively. But I couldn't. I don't think I was capable of doing it until I actually saw her in something like this. Because mm-hmm. now I can see, like, oh, she's got range. She can in this movie. She is funny. She's charming. She's charismatic. She also um, shows some some emotion and and you know cries some tears and and things like that in this movie does it all very effectively and well mm-hmm. and then in bringing up baby she's just so over the top slapstick yeah. kind of and um and it i can appreciate that much more now seeing like the more subdued version of her mm-hmm. all right keep um, going <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> mike goes to the library to learn about some family history, I think, and uh, very bizarre interaction with a librarian that's speaking in old English. Oh my um, gosh! Yeah, that was so weird. Yeah, it's like this one little quick scene, but it was a funny joke. He's like, "Dost thou?" She's like, "Like they're all talking like she's that." Like, what is thy question or something like that? Yeah. What is the wish? Well, I'm looking for some local book. What'd you say? What is the wish? And he responds. He's like, what? And then, like, he talks to her in some old English. 
Dost thou have a washroom? Thank thee. And then as he's about to go away, he like comes back into frame and like quite looks at her quizzically again before <laughs> before he leaves again. And, and he finds Tracy's there and she's reading Mike's book mm-hmm. um, and she likes it. And she's, she's like shocked that he wrote such good poetry and he's starting to change his mind about her and, and she about him. And mm-hmm. and she, uh, you know, she says something like I. You know, I believe you put that toughness on to protect yourself, and I know a little bit about that. Um, so they, she's kind of relating with him that, oh, that gruff exterior is all just kind of a show to to protect the softness that's underneath, mm-hmm. and that she can see now in his poetry. Mm-hmm. And she relates to it. So they begin walking back home, and there's a quick little moment where, like, Liz is in a is getting like a manicure and sees them through the window and she gets, she has a little look where she's upset about Mm -hmm. it. Um, Liz is the least developed character in this movie, I think. Yep. But I like her. Um, and I think she serves a really good role for the rest of the characters. She's a good totem. Hmm. What do you mean by that? I'll uh, I choose to uh, defer for right now, and I'll elaborate. Okay, <laughs> okay. Because you know, spoiler: she gets nominated for best supporting actress for this role. Yeah, and I, I don't it. get it. I, I I don't see it. There's I don't think there's much to this character, at least that I saw in this thing. So I'm interested. Whenever you have, whenever we're talking about this movie, you know, state your case because I I can't I didn't see it much from her character and. And she didn't seem like she had much to do besides kind of be on the sidelines a lot of the time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I'll, uh, I will talk about her in a little bit. Let's keep going. Okay. Uh, they get back to the house, and they go, they're going to go for a swim. And Tracy's pool is real fancy, and they have these really fancy outdoor changing rooms. And they go into separate little changing rooms. And as she's changing into a swimsuit, she's offering... Mike a place to say because I think he's like I took me two years to write that book and I made like 600 bucks or something you know Mm -hmm. he didn't make much money from two years worth of work and so she's saying you know I have this place out in the country I hardly ever go there what if you lived there or stayed there and you could do your writing there and and I think he gets really offended by this thing he says something like you know the days of people like supporting artists like that are long gone yeah it's kind of like a it hurt and not it doesn't hurt it's just like he's idealistic you know and he's focused mm-hmm. on just like he didn't want to write this story about this wedding this uh, vanity piece kind of thing he mm-hmm. wants to write like in you know the hard hitting pieces and do the hard work and you know big stories and things um yeah he doesn't like freebies or handouts or yeah. just like he, i think he maybe he'd be like what if your views you know you support me for so long and then you ask a favor for me you know go back to Mr. Smith uh, goes to Washington kind of um mm-hmm. he's just trying to protect his yeah his morals his ideology i guess yeah yeah he definitely is an idealist he's got romantic ideals of what it means to be a writer and a true artist and all these things and and he still has you know while his defenses might be coming down a little bit around Tracy he still has them up largely at this point in the movie mhm and I think he started to lower them, and then all this talk about her, like, allowing him to live in this place, kind of just, like, the walls came immediately back up. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, 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 no. Yep. Um, C.K. Dexter Hello. Haven arrives. Fancy seeing you here. Orange juice? Certainly. 
Now tell me you've forsaken your beloved whiskey and whiskies. No, 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 no. I've just changed their color, that's all. I'm going for the pale pastel shades now. They're more becoming to me. Offers Mike a drink. And he's like, do you drink? And he's like, a little. And he's like, really? He makes some crack about it. He's like, how writers really enjoy it. He's like, I thought writers needed to drink. <laughs> huh? He's like, I thought writers needed to drink. Yeah, and like beat their wives. Yeah. And, oh, that. And he's and, like, I always wanted to be a writer. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I think a I secretly may want to be a writer the whole time. AKA, like, ha ha ha, I drink to excess and beat my wife. How about you, Mr. Connor? You drink, don't you? Alcohol, I mean. Oh, a little. A, li- a little? And you a writer? I thought all writers drank to excess and beat their wives. You know, one time I think I secretly wanted to be a writer. Yeah, laugh, 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 ha, 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 so funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then, of course, this whole time, C.K., Dexter Haven, and Tracy are arguing as Mike is just kind of standing there and watch, watches them, and almost like they're kind of, like, trying to convince him that they're, they're in the right, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like, and then she, you know what she did? She did this, and like, oh, but that was nothing to blah, 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 and then Mike just kind of, gets bored and sneaks away without them noticing and they but they keep going and at one point like he looks over to like get his yeah, put on something like hey mike gone. what do you think about that huh and mike oh <laughs> yeah he's he left a long time ago and he's like well anyway the boat the true love i can't believe you did this on there <laughs> right back to it <laughs> yeah right back to it um and he starts arguing that you know this kitridge guy he's just a he's a violent swing away from him he's just basically a reaction to the, her first marriage and that she doesn't really she wouldn't work with him and and uh Kittridge is no great tower of strength you know tracy he's just a tower you hardly know him and i hardly know him as to know him well and perhaps it offends my vanity to have anyone who was even remotely my wife remarry so obviously beneath her how dare you any of you in this day and age you such an idiotic i'm talking about the difference in mind and spirit you could marry Mac, the night watchman. I'd cheer for you. Kittridge is not for you. You bet he's for me. He's a great man and a good man. Already he's of national importance. Oh, you sound like spy magazine talking. And then he says something about, like, human frailty. Like, um, he says, like, that Tracy doesn't have any room for, for, for human frailty in others, and especially not in herself. And he's, he's talking about his drinking problem, basically. Like, mm-hmm. you... You knew I had this. We got married, so it should have been our problem, is what his view is. And you had no sympathy for me. And you didn't want to assist me with it. And you had no patience for it. And you have no patience for any kind of human frailty. Red, you could be the finest woman on this earth. I'm contemptuous of something inside of you. You either can't help or make no attempt to. Your so-called strength. Your prejudice against weakness. Your blank intolerance. Is that all? That's the gist of it. Because you'll never be a first-class human being or a first-class woman until you've learned to have some regard for human frailty. It's a pity your own foot can't slip a little sometime. But your sense of inner divinity wouldn't allow that. This goddess must and shall remain intact. Why do you think that Tracy's marrying Kittredge? Is C.K. Dexter Haven right that, he's, that she's marrying him just kind of because he's the opposite of C.K. Dexter Haven? Um, yeah. And like, what is she getting out of that relationship? Because it's C.K. Dexter Evans, just like her, born into a upper class, fa- wealthy family, and just kind of that's the life that he's known. And and uh, George Kittredge, you know, lo- lower class, worked his way up, and 
and Tracy kept saying kept saying things like she had really admires that about him, mm-hmm. but there's no it doesn't seem like there's really any connection or really understanding between those two characters. No, not really. Um, so I watched this movie twice. Not really mm-hmm. twice. I watched it like two days ago and then earlier today i kind of just sped through and watched maybe like 80 percent of the second half of it um mm-hmm. and i had a different view knowing on what happened and what happens mm-hmm. at the end um and looking at it and looking at knowing how the characters are going to develop it you know put everything into place a little bit better mm-hmm. um and definitely carrie grant's dialogue and everything he says um that's kind of like and honestly, uh, this is some thoughts that I would wanted to say for the end of it, but um, <laughs> Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn have a relationship working together a lot. You know, they were in Bringing Up Baby mm-hmm. together, and I think they've had maybe a couple other movies before this. Right. Um, and so they've got a cool dynamic, and a, you know, with that in mind and with the craziness that she had in Bringing Up Baby, he kind of serves, and all of his dialogue kind of serves as a... Um, it's, it's what she's thinking. It's He knows her the most. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you know, he was married to her. He's known her since they were kids. Uh, he knows mm-hmm. kind of what she's most likely to do next and kind of what she's most likely fixated on. Um, and I guess I didn't really trust that the first time I watched it. Um, mm-hmm. and so this dialogue, I kind of had more questions on it. Um, but then going back and knowing how it all ends and, you know, resolves and everything, um, mm-hmm. I can see this as, yeah, no, he's, he has a lot more intent his character um ck dexter haven he's got Mm -hmm. a lot more um motivation and intent that we don't see that happens in that two years while he's gone right um and yeah this is if if not he's he's either projecting to try to make it become a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing or he's uh, you know like he's doing some inception here on Catherine Hepburn. Like you just did that guy because his reaction, and he's really, really effective at it because it's the day before her mm-hmm. wedding. Mm-hmm. By the way, that's another thing I want to talk about. So many of these movies are like <laughs> this has a lot of similarities to a lot of movies that we've seen already. Mm-hmm. Um, just the story, like it happened one night. You know, you've got the reporter and you've got the the girl who's going to get married, and then <laughs> what other movies right. do we have like that? Bringing up babies, essentially the same thing. Cary Grant's about to get married, and Catherine Hepburn mm-hmm. comes in. Um, mm-hmm. It's just a very similar theme here. Um, but, yeah, no, I think that uh, he's he's either telling her that's what's going to happen, or he's just like, no, I know. You know, I don't know. He's a pretty clever yeah. guy, C.K. Dexter well- Haven. That brings up another good point is like how much of this is of what he's expressing is genuine and how much of this is manipulation to try to get her get her back. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know. He's he's you know, I wouldn't put it past him either way. If Mm -hmm. it was actually genuine, like you don't really like this guy or if it's just like manipulation to try and get her back. I think I could see the character doing it either way. I think it's a little Um, bit of a mix of both, but I think it's leaning more towards that he knows her so well and that she is mm -hmm. probably doing this to uh get back at him just a teeny little bit <laughs> right or prove something about to herself about herself mm-hmm. i think it's i think it's really more that second thing yeah um, just based on her character journey and this idea of human frailty comes up a couple of times in this movie and it does. the idea of like what she expects of herself which what her what she feels like she expects of herself for her family 
And it does feel like she's trying to prove something about herself, that she is this decent person that would marry a type of person like George Kittredge as opposed to yeah. C.K. Dexter Haven. <laughs> Agreed. And I think... Yeah, let's let's come back to this. Let's uh, yeah, keep going. We will. On. Let's definitely. come back to this. Um, uh, George Kittredge arrives, and the arguing stops, and Tracy dives into the pool, and Kittredge opens C.K. Dexter Haven's present, wedding present, which is a model of the true love, which is a boat that he designed that they took on their honeymoon. Mm-hmm. And there's a moment where Catherine Hepburn's looking at it and kind of telling George Kittredge about the boat, and she says, my, she was yar. Mm-hmm. And what a fun little term, yar. Yar, which she says is, you know, easy. he's like, what does that mean? He's like, well, it's easy to handle. It's fast. It's bright. Everything a boat should be until she develops dry rot. <laughs> and I think Kinda that's like speaking about relationship. the relationship, right? <laughs> yeah. Obviously. Um, but also a little bit about her, um, maybe. Um, and Or maybe C.K. Dexter Haven. Um, Everything that a boat should be, maybe everything that a husband should be until she develops dry rot, you know, until, like, his alcoholism gets the best of it or something. Yeah. Um, And uh, George Kittredge calls Tracy, refers to her as, like, a goddess or a distant queen, and that she's so grand and she's, he worshipped her from afar. That's the wonderful thing about you, Tracy. What? Oh. Well, you're like some marvelous, distant, well, queen, I guess. You're so cool and fine and, and always so much your own. There's a kind of beautiful purity about you, Tracy, like, like a statue. George. Oh, it's grand, Tracy. It's what everybody feels about you. It's what I first worshipped you for from afar. George, listen. First, now, and always. Only from a little nearer now. Hey, darling? I... I don't want to be worshipped. I want to be loved. This emotion that she shows here is the start of, like, me being like, she can do a lot of different types of acting. She can be comedic, she can be dramatic, she can be romantic, and she does it all kind of in this movie. And this is the first, like, dramatic moment I feel like that she has in the movie. She does. Um, There's one thing that I noticed about her, a little uh, fun thing of Catherine Hepburn, see if anybody else noticed this. She is a close talker. She's a close talker. <laughs> she, like, and maybe it was just the scenes when she's drunk, but she likes mm, to, yeah. and nowadays that's weird, you know, we wear masks and we stay far apart, um, mm-hmm. but, like, she would not be COVID friendly. <laughs> no, no, She's no, getting right not. up in people's faces and very flirty and con- not, like, controlling, but powerful alpha, I guess, mm-hmm. and just, like, going through life like it's the world is hers. It's pretty, pretty awesome. <laughs> Yeah. Well, but this scene where Kitridge is talking about how he views her as a distant queen, mm-hmm. um, that he worships her, and all of this thing, it highlights exactly what C.K. Dexter Haven was talking about before. Like, he doesn't, this is not, you don't want this. Yeah, I know he doesn't what know you her. want, you don't want this. Yeah. And and Tracy's like, yeah, you're, she's starting to believe him. She's like, yeah, I don't think I want this. Um, she walks off and encounters her parents and there's like a little scene where she gives her dad a piece of her mind and he gives her a piece of his and they butt heads a little bit i don't think there's too too much in that scene um and then uncle willie seth there's a scene where it's like uncle willie are there seth and mother lord are there and mike and liz they all meet and the truth comes out about all of them we find out uncle willie is uncle willie you know, the dad is the dad. Mike and Liz are reporters um, for Spy Magazine. Let's pause here really quick. Uncle sure. Willie 
was introduced as the dad and was real creepy with Miss Embry, with Liz. Yeah. He was and just he like... he continues to be in this scene for yes, sure. Yes, and he continues to be in this scene and goes straight to her and is all like, you know, trying to get her to ride in his car to the wedding or to the party at his place. Mm-hmm. And um, then her dad walks in and he's like, that's it, I'm done with this stuff. Like, I'm the real dad. Um, they're mm-hmm. like, wait, who's who are you? And he's like just smiling and they're like uh he's a pincher (laughs) yep and he immediately starts creepily hitting on her and like looking her up and down and goes behind her and pinches her at one part and she's like Um, walking away with the dad the real dad and she's like um i I can't believe i feel like i've been pinched and he's like you probably definitely were probably have yeah (laughs) like that definitely happened i don't know why you're second guessing it (laughs) yeah and before we go to the the dance party thing that they're about to go to, um, Tracy downs three glasses of champagne really quick. Yep. And I, and then I put in my notes, and we are getting ready for the funniest parts of the movie. Oh, and that Uncle Willie, what does he say to Liz? He's like, um, I forget she says, like, would you like a drink or whatever? He's like, champagne? I don't think I've ever had enough. And he's like, oh, you will tonight. And I was like, what oh, the yeah. hell is going yeah, on He's going to like, yeah, watch Super that guy. That is, that is like, yeah, giving off real like date rapey vibes. Mm-hmm. Uncle Willie is, you need to keep two aisles on him. Um, he is terrible. And the worst part of this movie, and those jokes that about Uncle Willie, like, and all the like, spousal abuse jokes don't really work today no Um, not at all (laughs) but what does work is what happens in these next scenes where we go to this fancy dance it's after four which i'm i'm thinking means after 4 a.m golly no way because it's real dark outside so Um, dark and tracy is plastered and mike might be even more drunk than tracy um, and they're drunkenly dancing together and talking about like we should have another drink and yeah, this blah, is where blah. he he does his mumbling that I noticed. <laughs> mm-hmm. They so there's a bunch of people dancing and um I I forget how they start dancing. The two well, it starts them. with like Tracy and George Kittredge are dancing and then uh-huh. he's like, uh, you're pretty drunk. Maybe we should go home. I'll go get your wrap. And so then he leaves to go get her wrap. And, and Mike, Mike comes, comes up <laughs> yeah, and starts right. dancing with her. Yes. And he's dancing with her and he's talking about something. Um, and then she responds, I think. And then he just like kind of mumble talks over her. And she's like, well, no, mm-hmm. what was that again? I wasn't talking about that. Yeah. What was that? Mm-hmm. I forgot. He just like steamrolls right over <laughs> They are both phenomenal drunk actors. Oh, they're so, so good. But he like pulls they're her hilarious. tightly to do it and he like kind of calms her down. He's like, oh, no, no, that wasn't it. I'll think of it again. And he like, mm-hmm. you know, sets the pace for uh, their, I don't know. They were really like almost falling for each other here. I was rooting for yep. Jimmy Stewart. <laughs> yeah. Um, Kitridge comes back and, and he insists that they leave and Tracy wants to stay and, and but eventually kind of convinces her to leave and mike goes to the bar and gets a bottle of champagne like in a little paper cup and mm-hmm. catches a cab and like takes he take goes up to, to the cab and he's like he whistles and he's like follow that cab oh yeah and <laughs> and then, like, huh he's like oh, i'm just messing with he's you. like some joke huh <laughs> all drunk 
Yeah. And he like gets in the back and then goes to Take me to CK Dexter Haven's place. And front then entrance. Has the best like thing ever where he's like Mr. Wilson kind of he's like CK Dexter Haven over and over. At like four in the morning. CK Dexter Haven. It's kinda like what about Bob? Yes, it is exactly like it's exactly, he just keeps yelling. He's not knocking on the door. He's just like yelling at the door until Cary Grant opens up and uh, he brings him inside and he's like, I brought you champagne. Champagne is a great leveler. Leveler. I bring you greetings. Cinderella's slipper. It's called champagne. Champagne is a great leveler. Leveler. It makes you my equal. It's a great leveler. He has a real hard tra- hard time saying leveler. Um, and a, I don't know even how he says it, like leveler. I don't know, but he does it in a, in a great drunk way that is just the best moment of drunk acting I maybe have ever seen in a movie. Um, and they sit down, and he keeps drinking, and he starts hiccuping while mm-hmm. he's talking, which is so great. And apparently... And that surprised Cary Grant when they were shooting the movie. And, like, you can see him in the scene holding in some laughter, especially after the first hiccup. It kind of <laughs> surprised him. Like, it, there's, it's a moment, it's like, he didn't know what to do. And Jimmy Stewart, like, improvises this hiccup. And Cary Grant responds with, responds with, excuse me. And then, like, starts holding in laughter. And, like, that, I think that whole exchange was improvised. Because, <laughs> like, it doesn't make sense that he would excuse himself for his hiccup. Um, well, but I mean, kind of if you think of it so, from his uh, character's perspective, he did just get waking up in the or woken up in the middle of the night at like four or five in the morning by this true. drunk, 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 and uh, you know, magazine writer that he had definitely hired to get his ex-wife back. <laughs> he's just mm-hmm. like scheming on some stuff, super hammered. He's become yeah. the drunk writer that he told him to become. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And Mike saying that he resented what C.K. Dexter Haven had said about Tracy earlier in the day and. She's sort of like a... She's sort of like a... No, 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 no. You said that word this afternoon. No. No, she's... She's sort of like a queen. Eventually, they kind of start working together on an article exposing Sidney Kidd in in an attempt to kind of blackmail the blackmailer. Mm -hmm. I don't know. uh, Something about uh, war or something and somewhere. Yeah. Greece or something like that. Yeah, we never really get to hear the full story, but apparently Mike knows some story about Sydney Kid that he doesn't want, he wouldn't want out there. So they write this article together, um, drunkenly, mm-hmm. to to kind of flip the table on Sydney Kid, and then we get a knock on the door or something, and it's Liz, and she's arrived to collect Mike, and Tracy is like drunk and passed out in Liz's car. Mm-hmm. And so while Liz goes to get Mike, C.K. Dexter Haven goes into the car and cozies up next to Tracy and, and invites her in for a drink, and, but she declines. Mm-hmm. Um, and a uh, very intimate little moment. And then Mike gets in the car and Tracy and Mike drive off while Liz stays with C.K. Dexter Haven to finish the article. God, man, yeah, they just, those two sober people just let those two hammered people drive off in the car. Yeah. Like she was two. just passed out drunk in the in the front seat of this car, and then she ends up driving. Yeah, off. It, that is risky behavior. I don't think they live very far from each other, and I, I don't know. But still, golly, right? 
And it's probably like a private road too, but still. Yeah. <laughs> I think that might be on the same property, but yeah. um Yeah. We cut to scary. Mike and Tracy are drunkenly dancing around the edge of a fountain and drinking. Well, don't and... they say why they split? Because Liz is helping him type. He's like, You're you can yeah. use a typewriter, she's... right? You're gonna type up yeah. this article for me really quick. <laughs> yeah, she's there to help finish the article and type it up. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And um Mike and Tracy, yeah, they go back to Tracy's place and they're drinking and dancing around the edge of the fountain. And there's like a telephone ringing and she's like, I think it's my bedroom telephone. Do you hear that? He's like, hold on, let me take another sip of champagne. And then he's like, no, I still don't hear it. And he takes another one. He's like, oh yeah, there it is. <laughs> uh, and then it, she, by the time she gets there, it stopped ringing. And uh, eventually they have a discussion where Tracy says that Mike will never be a great writer until he has some understanding of human frailty. You're just a mass of prejudices, aren't you? You're so much thought and so little feeling, Professor. I am, am I? Yes, you am, are you? Your intolerance infuriates me. I should think that of all people, a writer would need tolerance. The fact is, you'll never, you can't be a first-rate writer or a first-rate human being until you've learned to have some small regard for human... which is exactly like what CK said about her, mm-hmm. um, except like instead of be, you'll never be a great writer, she said something like you'll never be a, a great woman or a great human or something until you have some understanding of human frailty. But she kind of stops herself before mm-hmm. she finishes the full phrase. Um, and But even while fighting with each other, Mike expresses his attraction to her, and she starts teasing him by calling him Professor... I don't seem to you made of bronze. No, you're made out of flesh and blood. That's the blank, unholy surprise of it. Why, you're the golden girl, Tracy. Full of life and warmth and delight. Well, what goes on? You've got tears in your eyes. Shut up, shut up. Oh, Mike, keep talking, keep talking. Talk, will you? No, I... I've stopped. Why? Has your mind taken hold again, dear Professor? Good thing, don't you? Don't you agree? No, Professor. Oh, yeah, she's like, okay, Professor. Yes, Professor. I'm sorry, Professor. All right, lay off that Professor stuff now. Do you hear me? Yes, Professor. It's really all I am to you, is it? Of course, Professor. Are you sure? Why, yes. Yes, of course. Golly. And then eventually he plants one on her. and He's like, well, stop she... that. Uh, you don't think I'm going to do anything? Well, I'll show you right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then she kisses him back, and then they run off to go swim. Mm-hmm. And... Um, C.K. Dexter Haven takes Liz back, and Liz admits to liking Mike. Mm-hmm. And then Mike and George. No, I, I don't oh, know. No. If she admits he's like, why? He's like, Liz, why don't you guys ever get married or whatever? He's like, why don't? Oh, yeah. Why not Mike, Liz? Yeah, it's like he needs to grow up a little bit or something like that. He's got stuff mm-hmm. to learn. So she says. 
Yeah, that's right. And then CK Dexterhaven hangs around there, and George Kittridge is there, and they're talking a little bit, and then they hear some singing approaching over the hills. What song is it, brother? <laughs> it's, it's Mike carrying Tracy back after their swim, singing somewhere over the rainbow. <laughs> but at one point, all drunk. But at one point, he says like someday over <laughs> so the rainbow, <laughs> I was like, that was just last year. That's perfect. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, so they've, in this movie so far, they've sang like two popular contemporary songs uh, over the rainbow and the Lydia, the tattooed lady, mm-hmm. um, both by the same songwriters, but featured in different movies that came out just the year prior. Mm-hmm. Um, CK Dexter and Kitteridge are talking about, should they imagine what happened between Mike and Tracy or pretend not to know? And George Kittridge is like, I can't not imagine what. Oh, because they see they like, just... yeah, Kittridge comes over and is like, where is she? I called her room and nobody answered. And then he's like, why are you here, ex-husband? And mm-hmm. uh, Cary Grant's like, oh, I'm just a friend of the family. Uh, I was bringing back over Miss Embry. Look at this suspect uh, bottle of champagne here with these two glasses. And uh, who do you think that is? And he's like, you know, yeah, she likes to swim, right? And they're like. Wait, swim's definitely like innuendo, right, bro? <laughs> yeah, it's definitely an innuendo. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. For sure. And, like, they even made a joke earlier in the movie where Dinah, the little sister, said something about innuendo. And she's talking about innuendo. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so she'd be like, innuendo. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the... Um, and that's when they come back drunk and singing somewhere over the rainbow. And then Mike takes her upstairs to go, like, put her to bed. And mm-hmm. well, um, before that, like he stops, and there's a a funny scene. I forget. She's she's being defensive and drunk and tired, and she's like kind of shooing them away. She's like, "I just have to go to sleep. Like, please let me go to sleep. Like, uh." Um, mm-hmm. and she oh, she sees everybody. She's like, Dexter, yeah. or she's like Dex, and then hey George, George. and then she's and like, like, "Oh Mike. my, yeah, exactly." <laughs> and yeah. she like crosses her feet and like curls her toes a little bit while she's in Mike's mm-hmm. arms and. Cary Grant does a great little bit of acting here where he, like, <laughs> overtly looks at her feet that are, like, you know, being mm-hmm. all lovey and everything and gets George to uh, look at them as well. He's, like, definitely, <laughs> you know, feeding the fire here, kind of mm-hmm. like, <laughs> mm-hmm. don't go through the wedding. Hey, look at that. She loves this guy. What the hell? <laughs> yeah. That's and jo- and they, while Mike takes her upstairs... CK Dexterhaven and George Kitteridge are standing downstairs and and George's like how can I not imagine what what they've been up to this whole time and and CK Dexterhaven's just like I'm just going to pretend not to know mm-hmm. that I that nothing I'm just going to pretend and he's like but it's like I can't do that and then Mike comes back down and CK Dexterhaven boom punches him right in the face mm-hmm. and uh George Kittridge gets pissed off and he walks away and, and CK sits down on the ground with him and immediately apologizes. And he's like, why'd you do that? He's like, well, it's better that I hit you than George Kittridge because I'm a little drunk and he's sober. So he probably would have gotten you worse. Yeah, he's in a little bit better shape than I am. Yeah. Yeah. Now look, if you think I, I know, I know. I'm sorry, but I thought I'd better hit you before he did. He's in better shape than I am. Well, you'll do. The camera pans upstairs, and right above them is Dinah sitting out, looking out her window, her open window, and just kind of had watched this whole scene unfold. And uh, then we cut to the next morning, and Dinah is reporting to a hungover Uncle Willie about what happened, and 
C.K. Dexter Haven arrives, followed by a hungover Tracy. She comes out and like winces at the light. Um, it's her wedding day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, this their drunk acting is great. Their hungover acting is really fun too. Yeah, everyone's hungover this next day. And <laughs> Uncle Willie, that's his name, right? Mm-hmm. He's yeah. like, ah, oh, my head and the light yeah. and the noise, and then Dinah's like trying to talk to him or something. He's like. I will only go if you speak at a civilized volume. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so funny. And uh, Tracy's got a wristwatch that she said she almost stepped on in her room. Mm-hmm. And she can't saying she can't remember what happened. And C.K. Dexter Haven's teasing her, saying she should have gone for a swim. Mm-hmm. And, like, Tracy's eyes get wide as she's, like, beginning to remember. She's like, oh, I think I did go swimming last night kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And then... And then Dinah tells Tracy about a, quote, dream she had where Mike was carrying Tracy all the way to her room. And then it's like, she's like, what happened? She's like, she's starting to piece the puzzle pieces together. And then Mike comes down and he's also real hungover. But real happy. But real happy. And they talk and it's implied that they might have done more than swim. Mm -hmm. And, uh. And it's obvious, yeah, that I put, like, it's obvious Mike likes her quite a bit. And Trace, it's also obvious that Tracy's real regretful of what she might have taken <laughs> part in. Oh, yeah. And uh, he's missing his wristwatch, and he sees it on the table. He's like, oh, here it is. I should have given a reward. Where'd this come from? And uh, Tracy doesn't say, but, you know, he left it in her room. Yeah. And uh, Mike asks if she wants an eye-opener. AKA like a drink in the morning to kind of help cure the hangover. And Tracy responds that her eyes are open enough. Like she's, she's realized the mistakes that she may have made last night. Mm-hmm. And so starting Mike to see some goes, patterns of behavior in herself. Mm-hmm. And some shame about who she thought she was and that she, if she was that person, how could she ever have done what she thought, what she thinks she did. Exactly. So Mike goes to get a drink and he passes by C.K. Dexter Haven and he's got a drink in his hand. He's like, got that got alcohol in it? He's like, yeah, Uncle Willie's cooking up some wonders in there. Just ask him for another one of these. And he's like, all right. And he goes in there and then C.K. walks that drink out to Tracy, but it's not alcoholic. It's like made from a bunch of like flowers or something to like help with the hangover, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so he delivers the drink to her, and she kind of emotionally confides in him and asks him what she should do. Um, if she's at this crossword. She might have cheated on her husband the night before the wedding, and she realizes that she needs to tell George. So she goes over to call him and tells him to come over, and C.K. Dexter Haven reveals that George was there too That mm-hmm. whole during that whole thing. That, she was like, know, oh, God, who else was there? <laughs> Yeah, and she's like, oh, why didn't you sell tickets? <laughs> she says, yeah. like, um, and they start reminiscing about the boat, the true love, and and uh, and he says, my, she was yar, and uh, and Tracy says, like, she was, I wasn't, was I? Mm-mm. Um, I th- I like that moment where they're kind of looking back at their marriage and and kind of what failed, and maybe now it, you know, like. Well, now that we know a little bit more about ourselves and are a little more mature, maybe it might, you know, the seeds are kind of starting to be planted that maybe it might be different if we if we were to do this now as opposed to back then. And he was like, oh, you know, I'm thinking of building another one. He's like, what are you going to yeah. call it? And he's like, the true love too. And she's like, don't you dare call it the true love too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's like, maybe something in re- dedicated to me called like the easy virtue or something, <laughs> yeah. which I don't know exactly what that means. I don't speak 
1940s language, but <laughs> yeah. I guess it means just like someone that doesn't have morals, and she's kind of reg- ashamed of ashamed of herself. Something like uh, that. Yeah. And uh, but apparently George Kitteridge had sent a letter mm-hmm. um, to to them this morning, and so she sees the letter, and and George is arriving as Tracy is reading the letter that he had delivered earlier that morning, and talking about how he needs to hear an explanation from her before they can get married. Um, and she has a very poor view of herself and her idea of who she is and the standards that she's set for herself have crumbled based on what she, how she views herself. And, and she tells George Kitteridge that she, that he can go like, this is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mike admits to everyone. It may interest you to know that this so-called affair consists of exactly two kisses and a rather late swim. Thanks, Mike, but there's no All of which I thoroughly enjoyed and the memory of which I wouldn't part with for anything. No use, Mike. After which I deposited Tracy on her bed in her room and promptly returned down here to you two, which doubtless you'll remember. Doubtless, without a doubt. You mean to say that was all there was to it? I do. Like the affair, he says something like the affair consisted of two kisses and a late night swim, and that's all. Mm-hmm. There wasn't anything more to it. He's like, I and, wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I forget what else he says. But while he's saying that, uh, Liz Embry's like in the background, just kind of out of focus, right over his mm-hmm. like left or right shoulder. Mm-hmm. You can kind of and, see her reaction. She's just like, oh no. Yeah, she's upset about like how smitten he is with him, with her, I guess. And uh, Tracy's initially offended by this. She's like, that's all. What was that? Was I unattractive? Was there something wrong with me? (laughs) Was I too distant or whatever? Why was I so unattractive, so distant, so forbidding or something? This is fine talk. And then George is like, why the hell are you upset about it? He's like, what do you mean? He still he takes some comfort in that nothing really happened beyond a couple of kisses and a swim. But he's still kind of mad. Um and then they learn that Sidney Kids arrived, and he's got a message saying that he gives in. He's not going to write the story on uh, Tracy's dad, and so they're not going to write the story on Sidney Kid. And so, like the blackmailers, the blackmail has been blackmailer has been blackmailed, and it worked. <laughs> it <all laughs> and worked. Uh, George Kittridge offers to let bygones be bygones, and Tracy's like says something like, "I agree." So so long. Like she breaks things off with him and ends it for good. Mm-hmm. And so he leaves. But as he leaves, we hear the wedding march music begin. <laughs> yeah, great timing. <laughs> yeah. And so they go, they run over to the door and they see the, the full, like, all the pews are full. And she's, Tracy's real worried about what to do. And Mike has the solution. He's, He's like, like, well, just marry me right now. Let's do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. They don't know what he looks like. It could be me. Um, just marry me. It's like, I got and, you into uh, this whole thing. Yeah, uh, might as well. Mm-hmm. And he's real excited about it, and but Tracy declines. She says, I don't think Liz would like it. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that you would like it, and I'm pretty doubtful that I'd like it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really is the first, one of the early, like, it's the, we're at the end of the movie at this point. Mm-hmm. And this, that's like Liz, her role is done. Like, that's pretty much it. It's that, oh, Liz likes Mike. Liz likes Mike. But it's very subtle, and there's nothing. that. So, I don't know. Um, we're, we'll wrap up, I guess, the plot, and then we'll talk about this character of Liz yeah. and why. She, <laughs> but, uh, so, she turns him down, and um, 
then Tracy's parents come in and offer to make a simple announcement to spare her embarrassment. And so she opens the door instead to make the announcement herself. She's like, don't worry about it, parents. I'll, I'll do it. And she begins to make this announcement and then kind of asks C.K. Dexter Haven for help on what to say. And he's like right behind the door kind of telling her what to say. And ultimately, it's a great scene where, he, where she's like, basically, he tricks her <laughs> kind of in a very clever um clever way to say that the show is going to go on and that actually C.K. Dexter Haven uh, uh, and Tracy are going to get Dexter, married. Dexter, what next? Two years ago, I did you out of a wedding in this house by eloping to Maryland. Two years ago, uh, you were invited no, to a wedding Just in this alone. house. Just alone. Yeah, put the swing in the best pocket. Don't have a Then hold in your hand. Which was very bad manners. Which was very bad manners. But I hope to make it up to you by going through with it now as originally planned. But I hope to make it up to you by... going beautifully through with it now, as originally and most beautifully planned. So if you just keep your seats for a minute. So if you'll just keep your seats a minute. That's all. Um, that's all. Dex, are you sure? Not the least problem, risky, will you? You bet. You didn't do it just to soften the blow. No, Tracy. Not to save my face. Oh, it's a nice little face. Oh, Dex, I'll be on now. I'll promise to be on. Be whatever you like. You're my redhead. Are you all set? All set. Mike is going to be the best man, and Liz is going to be the matron of honor. Mm-hmm. And then Tracy asks her father how she looks, and he says, like a queen, like a goddess. And which is what all those words that people were describing her that she hated. Mm-hmm. She's um, like, no, like a human. Yeah, she says she feels like a human being. That, and so it's like she's finally, she's accepted this idea of who she is. She's rejected this idea of, that she's built up in her head of like, of these really high standards and expectations that she holds for herself. And she has now room for that human frailty. She feels mm-hmm. like a human and she accepts it. And he marches her down the aisle to the altar and they get up there. And then right as, as they're all at the altar there, a photographer takes a picture of them and they turn to look at the camera all shocked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that is the end of the Philadelphia story. Yay, the end. Okay. Do you want me to talk about the reception, or do you want to talk about the no. character of Liz? <laughs> Let's just break it down a little bit, because there's okay. it's a pretty complicated uh, little romance here that just a couple of romances that fall into place at the very, very last second. Um, mm-hmm. So I totally thought that Jimmy Stewart and Katherine Hepburn were going to get together. Um, mm-hmm. You know, their chemistry was great, you know, when they were drunk and stuff, and their tension before they were drunk about, you know, him just trying to be true to his ways and her trying to be true to you know her ways Mm -hmm. um but then you know when i watched it again and looking back i was like maybe this whole thing was just a giant plot a big old scheme of ck dexter haven and uh liz to both of them get back with their true loves or get with their true loves for the first time um and those like characters and they like they were written to balance each other um, I don't think that she was just like a, a non-character like you were thinking. I I liked Cary Grant more in this one than I did in Bringing Up Baby. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it took me a little while still to appreciate him. Um, and it's, yeah, it's hard to find out what his motive is, really. And if, mm-hmm. you know, he's the mastermind or anything. But, yeah, truly, like, Liz, she's perfect for Jimmy Stewart's character. And Cary Grant's a perfect balance for Catherine Hepburn's character. Um, but they just took a while to find each other. And I think that's what the whole movie really was. Liz was just constant 
you know, and that's what Jimmy was missing. But like, just because she wasn't dynamic doesn't mean, you know, she wasn't a great character. Like she had great subtle acting, you know, good facial features and everything, good expressions whenever people were talking around her and, mm-hmm. and you could see the emotion. You could see that she liked Mike and that she, or she loved him. Um, but she was always that one that was, you know, trying to keep his, him tied to the ground to be like, no, we need to put food on the table. Homeboy. Like, yeah, right. I know you want to write another book about nonsense. that's going to make, you know, $3, but like, come on, like we need to write, we need to work. We need to, yeah, get the job done. Yeah, I guess, you know, you're you're right. In that way that the characters balance each other out. So Cary Grant's role in this movie is to allow, um, is to kind of challenge Catherine Hepburn's character so that she can have her arc and change and, and accept that human frailty. And Liz, her thing is, is to ground, I guess, to challenge um, Jamie, Jimmy Stewart's character to accept some realism mm-hmm. you know he's a he's an idealist and she recognizes that that's fine but you also have to like you feed yourself and and you know have a job and make ends meet and and uh you know and that's okay too and mm-hmm. so i guess you know just to kind of accept those parts of life too so in those in that respect yeah i agree like you know Catherine hepburn and jimmy stewart are very similar characters and then carrie grant's and uh ruth hussey's liz embry are very similar characters in that respect too okay but i i don't think i appreciate like if you don't know where it's going or how it ends you know mm-hmm. then it's she's hard to find that or track that yeah it's hard to track that and she's just like that the assistant of jimmy stewart who gets like yeah. hit on and pinched and does all the mm-hmm. work and you know, just not really appreciated very much, but until the very, very end. Mm-hmm. And it is very much the story of the three characters of Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn, and Jimmy Stewart. And and uh, Ruth Hussey's character, Liz Embry, is very much on a, on a lower tier. She's not nearly on that same level as those three. Yeah, the Kit Ridger, whatever his name was, he's... It was a surprise to me. I thought the movie was going to be Jimmy Stewart and Cary Grant kind of head-to-head over uh, Catherine Hepburn, mm-hmm. but Cary Grant's, like, character's maturity, you know, he's seen um, Tracy, you know, what did he say, like, howl at the moon or something like that? There was one night where she, like, oh, yeah. skinny got dipped and, and got and naked, naked on and, the roof, yeah. And was, like, yelling at the moon or something like that, and she had no recollection mm-hmm. of it, and he was just, like, cracking mm-hmm. up. She's like, why do you always bring that up? That embarrasses me. Like, you know, and then she does it again with the pool at the end, and he just he knows, like he knows her. He's mm-hmm. like, "You just did it again." <laughs> like, I, yep. You know, it, sure, it might hurt me that it's with another guy a little bit, but I'm mature enough to know that, you know, you're towards the end of your rope. Like, you are maturing here, and you're not going to remember that. And this is going to be a funny conversation later, kind of thing. Yeah. He felt so much more like in charge, like, of her life than she did for the mm-hmm. the whole movie. When you see, when you know that, like, they're going to end up together. Right. It's interesting. And it it very much is that Catherine Hepburn char- character and Jimmy Stewart's character are the most interesting ones in the movie. By far. Um, and Cary Grant's and Ruth Hussey's are the more, like, constant characters that kind of are the same relatively at the beginning and at the end of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are those characters are needed in order to to provide the foundation for the... Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart type of characters to be able to dance around, you know, and grow around them. Exactly. And to, for those characters to challenge them to do that. Mm-hmm. 
Okay. Well, I think I, I guess I appreciate the character a little bit more. I still don't think it's the greatest performance in the world. And, no. Um, but uh, let's go into the reception a little bit. Um, critic, critics and audiences really embrace this film. It ends up being the fifth highest grossing movie that comes out that year. Wow. Um, it gets nominated for Best Picture, Best Director for George Cukor, Best Actress for Katherine Hepburn, and Best Supporting Actress for Ruth Hussey. Um, it wins two Academy Awards, one for Best Actor for James Stewart and one for Best Screenplay for Donald Ogden Stewart. Yeah, screenplay um, was really good. Yes, it was. very. I loved the pace of the dialogue. So quick. It's so quick, but it's like it was like it just seemed like and then this person goes and then this person goes and it just felt like kind of like a dance of words. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I really liked that. And everything was, there was a lot of really clever things that were said. I liked how the, the theme of human frailty came up a couple of times. I liked the kind of the repetitive nature of some of those themes and how they were kind of interwoven. Um, I liked that a lot. Yeah, me too. Um, and now, and with, with your discussion about the characters that you started here, if like I liked the balance of, of Cary Grant and Ruth Hussey's, um, you know, solid characters that are, challenging and pushing the more crazy characters of Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's all baked into the screenplay. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Stewart wins, like I said, best actor. And he ta- he's talked about how he voted for Henry Fonda in Grapes of Wrath and felt that this award was given him as a makeup for his role in Mr. Smith that he didn't win for that year. Um, mm-hmm. He never really felt like he deserved the- to win this year's award. Yeah. Um, you don't see... <laughs> Unless this was like the first ever performance of someone, you know, like act, acting drunk on screen, um, <laughs> like that's not really like the reason why you win an Oscar these days. <laughs> well, Clark Gable acted drunk, and it happened one night, and oh, that's right. he won that one too. <laughs> Damn, yeah, maybe. Okay, that's all it um, took back then. Huh? <laughs> yeah, you got you got to play drunk, and that's it. Uh, the American Film Institute, like I, it ranked number fifty-one and number forty-four on their top one hundred lists. It's also ranked as the number fifteen comedy the number four, 44 romance, and the number five romantic comedy. Um, it gets remade as a musical called High Society in 1957 with Bing Crosby in the Cary Grant role, uh, Grace Kelly in the Catherine Hepburn role, and Frank Sinatra in the James Stewart role. Oh, dang. Yeah. And uh, that's kind of all I have on the movie. Um, do you have anything else before we dive into what makes it great? Nope. Let's do it. Okay. Um, I don't remember who went first last time. You got it uh, this time. You go for it. Okay. Um, for my notes, I put, I think I get Katherine Hepburn now. <laughs> um, I liked her a lot more in this movie. I, I liked Cary Grant a lot more in this movie as well. And Jimmy Stewart's just always been great for me. I love him playing drunk and I love Katherine Hepburn playing drunk. Um, like I said, I'm, I love Jimmy Stewart's confidence, the way he walks, the way he looks around a space, the way he talks and mutters under his breath. It's all fantastic. Um, and like I said before at the beginning, I think this movie will make me appreciate bringing up Baby more because Cary Grant and Catherine Hepburn, while still times where they're kind of crazy, um, <laughs> are much more understated in this movie. And so I think that'll help me appreciate bringing up Baby a lot more. But I still like this movie better than bringing up baby i think it's funnier i think it's more romantic i think all of three of the main characters play well off of one another and um they also talk about this being a genre of movie called the remarriage comedy um and apparently they would do these kinds of stories of remarriages during the era of the hayes production code 
um, because he couldn't really do too many movies with like affairs and things like that uh, unless they were kind of in this context. Uh, that makes sense. And so I I like the this the way of the remarriage story as a way to tell a slightly more risque story during the era of the Hayes production code. Kind of it's like we talked about it with a number of movies in the past where it's like how far can you push the envelope and you have to be really creative to do it and I think this movie is does it in a very creative way. Yeah, it definitely did. And oh, so cool. I think that's what makes it great for me. How about you? Um the performances for sure. These are some of the best actors and actresses um, of all time, for sure. Love mm-hmm. Catherine Hepburn. She's just so magnetic and entertaining and just so strong. And, yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, and I liked Cary Grant a lot more, too. I didn't really like him very much in Bringing Up Baby. Like you said, mm-hmm. this made me like Bringing Up Baby more. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, George Cukor is a great director. I mean, I don't know he this is, yeah. this movie just kind of it was entertaining. It was fun. Um it definitely thought it was better than bringing a baby and I think it's appropriately placed in the list as of right now, kind of in mm-hmm. the middle. Um not the best thing we've seen, not the worst thing we've seen. It did feel a little long. It was like 2 yeah, hours. It it's just under 2 hours. I think it's like an hour and 52 minutes or something. But other than that, no, yeah, this is a good, good film. Um, a couple years later to show like the development of all these great actors. Not really Jimmy mm-hmm. Stewart. I mean, he was just in Mr. Smith last last year, but um, always love seeing him. <laughs> great I, guy. Yeah, I think he elevates so many every any movie he's in. He just brings it up to another level. Mm-hmm. Um, you'd mentioned you know George Cukor being a great director. You have three of the biggest stars in Hollywood stand. You know, in this one movie, sometimes in the same scene. It's got to be hard and... to manage. <laughs> It's got to be super hard to manage and to balance their characters and give everyone kind of equitable time and attention, and they do it really well. I think it's a very well-acted movie, and, and you know a lot of that has to be due to the performances, but a lot of that also has to be due to George Cukor's direction. So definitely, my hat's off. Yeah, it was funny. I, it was just like kind of like with Marx Brothers movies, you know, they're so fast and Bringing Up Baby was really it was faster. That's why I don't remember like any jokes in that movie, but right. Yeah. Um yeah, so I think I need to watch this movie a couple more times in order for me to like be able to quote it and stuff, but mm-hmm. I I like it. It's enjoyable. I'll probably revisit it. There's a lot of anundo in this movie. Though. A lot of anundo. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's it for the Philadelphia story. All right. Goodbye, CK Dexter Haven. CK <laughs> Dexter Haven. <laughs> that movie was a great leveler. <laughs> um, all right. You want to hear what we're doing next week? Oh, brother. I know what we're doing next week. Tell everybody what we're doing next week. We're jumping forward one year to 1941, and this is the biggie, the the movie of the list. It's ranked number one on the original list and ranked number one on the 10th anniversary list. This is the consensus greatest American movie of all time, according to the American Film Institute, 1941's Citizen Kane. Oh, so, man. Here we go. Oh, I hope we're up to the task. <laughs> Um, I am really, really looking forward to this one. Um, I'm going to try to do some extra, um, research so that we can really dive in and understand what makes this one a great one, but I am very, very excited to talk about Orson Welles' Citizen Kane next time. 
Sign it again. That'll be episode 27. Wow. Um, All right. Well, for this time, though, my name is Andy Fernandez. And my name is Michael Fernandez. Thank you guys for joining us on What Makes It Great.